All right. Thanks. For, thanks for joining us again. Uh, today, we're going to do part two of the Talladega Nights quote series with Tim and I. And today we talk about living with the fear. Um, and it's all based on a, on a quote that, uh, that Ricky's dad said when, when he was learning to drive after his accident again. And uh, we take it some really interesting places. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Super glad you're here. And let's get started. Well, as, as Jack Johnson said, you just got to sleep through the static anyway, so it doesn't matter. Is that what Jack Johnson said? Yeah, he did. Then, um, I can't remember what album Would it was. this be Jack Johnson, the singer, I guess? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You never heard Jack Johnson? I'm sure I have. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. Like, if you want to just, like, fall asleep, throw on some Jack Johnson. <laughs> that good, huh? <laughs> All right. So, uh, we want to do this? All right. I guess we're doing this. So uh, today we're going to continue on with our discussion. I'm going to say discussion with. I think my hat's crooked. There we go. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the problem with your. That's hands. the it's problem. Crooked. Yes, yeah. my hat's crooked. <laughs> yeah, my head's crooked. Uh, so discussion of great quotes from Ricky Bobby and Talladega Nights. So I think today we're going to talk about one of my favorites and one of the simplest quotes that he had. And that was actually not, I, I think this was another Reese Bobby quote. This was not a uh, Ricky quote, but a Reese quote, which if you haven't listened to the first podcast of this series, um, Reese is Ricky Bobby's father. And so uh, I think what's happened to kind of set the stage for this is what's happened is, is, is that um, so back when Ricky had his crash and so he was having a hard time, couldn't drive, uh, was scared. And so set this up he it was in reese's car and he's getting ricky to go get in the car and ricky went to go get in the car to drive it and when he went to grab the handle there was a live cougar in the car and so when he went to grab the handle uh cougar did the cougar sound yeah you like that wait a minute hold up I was going to ask you. You beat me to it. Okay, good. Thank you. It's cross between a cat and a, a really sick billy goat. It's close to get to cougar. Sorry. Did you, you know? You, just just move on. Okay. I was going to ask on. what a really sick billy goat sounds like, but we don't we don't have to do that. <laughs> it's it's not about what it looks like. It's it's what it smells like. That's a bad. That's the bad part. Yeah, but I have sick sick. Well, I mean, I think billy goats are just they're billy goats. Wow, we are way off track. That's what we quickly. do best, man. So uh, so anyway, so he goes to the car. Cougar makes Cougar nows and he jumps back and he's like, what am I supposed to do? So I'll go ahead and uh, let's run the clip now. All right, Professor Dickweed, what's the plan? Basically, what happened to you is that you saw the fear. So before you can even think about any real driving, you got to make friends with that fear. So get in the car. <laughs> Cougar in the car. Oh, there's a cougar in the car. I put it in there. You got to learn to drive with the fear. And there ain't nothing more goddamn frightening than driving with a live cougar in the car. So, as you can see, what took place was when Reese at the end said, Son, you have to live with the fear. So, that's our topic. That's our quote today is live with the fear. You know, and, and I just, Reese Bobby, easily one of the most unsung heroes of that entire movie. Oh. And, and a, in, in American history. Aristotle so, had nothing on Reese. I mean, just 
the, the amount of knowledge and brilliance and wisdom that that guy dropped, not just on Ricky Bobby, but on all of us. I think it was called wisdom timing. Yeah. Wisdom timing. Yeah. But, uh, really wasn't, it, it was a, it was a great part of the movie. Right. And, and again, just one of the most quotable movies that we, that we've ever listened to, but, but it's also, it's pretty profound, not just in the moment for him, but for, for all of us, right? Like living, living with the fear. No doubt. And, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about entrepreneurism and, and, you know, the, the crazy world of, of starting a business and having a family and having a parent and all these different things. And there's so much to all of that that deals with fear. Mm -hmm. And so let's, let's talk about fear for a minute and, and kind of what that means and how do you perceive fear and how do we define it? Right. Um, and to me, fear is, is seeing what's ahead of you and being afraid of the unknown. It's, um, not knowing what's going to happen. And there's other parts of fear sure. in context today. That's for me, that's kind of how I define it. What about you? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's some of it's based on previous experience, right? Which can create a fear for a similar type scenario. But I think in this context, it's, it's the unknown it's stepping into in, in what is the impact and the potential consequences of the decision that I make in this moment, right? Which it, it up to and includes dying it up to and includes failure of a company up to right. include a divorce from my spouse. Like right. we, we live in that fear of what the potential ramifications can be of our decision if it happens to be the wrong one. Right. And, and to me, it, it's so much about, it, it goes beyond the fear of failure, right? Um, everyone has a fear of failure. Nobody likes to fail and nobody wants to fail. But at the same time, there's a fear that goes even beyond that of if I fail, what are the consequences of that? And that's where, at least for me, my mind runs crazy. And some of my fears come through. Um, if I fail, what are the ramifications of that? And if that those things happen, what does that mean to me? Um, it's funny, uh, Jamie and I were in the, we were out in the backyard yesterday and we were talking about some of these very same things and how her and our minds work different. I was, and she's very intrigued by these strange hollow doors of my brain and where these thoughts come from. But I, you know, the way I think is I think through what could happen. So I'll, I'll play something out that's going to, I'll play a, an event that's going to take place and I'll run through three, four, five scenarios with that of if this happens, this is what's going to happen. If this happens, this is what I'm going to do. What, what are all the things going to happen? So I actually live through the failure before the event actually takes place. I know that sounds really strange to a lot of people listening, but from the reason I do that, and I haven't always done that, this is kind of a, the last 15, 20 years of my life is I don't want to be shocked by an event and shocked at the consequences of what happens at the event and be left flat footed. I want to be able to react quickly. I know this is a lot of what you did in the military as well mm -hmm. is you think through all the different scenarios. Anyway, I was talking to Jamie and she's like, you have to, your brain has to be exhausted all the time because you, you almost, you almost live with the consequences in your brain before, or if even thing, anything ever happens, you know, and it's, and she, she thinks of it as worry. Like you worry about these things. And what's strange, I don't really worry about it. Um, but in her mind, you know, she would be worried about all those different things with those things in her mind. She said, I, I just let the event happen and I'm shocked. And then I deal with it. Right. And that's just not how my brain works. In fact, I think, Sophie's is even similar to that. Her, her brain kind of works that way, but 
you know, I have to play those things out. And by doing that, I eliminate some of the fear because I know how I'm going to react to those things before something actually happens, good or bad. Right. right? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I spent so many years in the military kind of going through this exact technique, right? And what you do is you kind of break this big event down. Like, let's say you're going, you're in Afghanistan, you're going to do a raid on a high value target, right? That's the big picture of things, but it has to be broken down into so many subtasks that are collective and individual, right? And so you spend so much time training to, you know, the, the, like the, the physical element of the task, right? But what happens when you're doing the physical side of it is you're also training your, your brain and, and how you're going to respond to these types of things, right? And as you go through these scenarios on the battlefield, nothing ever goes as planned, right? Mike Tyson, you know, everybody right. has a plan to get punched in the face. And on the battlefield, you inevitably are going to get punched in the face multiple times. And it's how you respond to that crisis in the moment is ultimately what's going to define either success or failure on a, on a grander scheme, right? And so you work through these contingencies like, okay, so if we're here and we have somebody get shot, this is what's going to happen, right? There's multiple things that have to happen, but the mission doesn't stop. It never stops. It's, it's, you're always moving forward, right, um, and, until some sort of successful completion. And so you learn to, in that regard, like Reese talks about, you live with the fear, right? I, I think people end up having to ultimately make a decision of, is fear going to freeze you in your tracks and then you don't move forward? Mm-hmm. Or do you understand what the fear does, what it brings, what the consequences bring, and press forward knowing that there's always an alternative to whatever happens. There's always a contingency for even worst case scenario, there's things that can be done to get it fixed and rectified in the moment and still carry on to some semblance of mission success. Yeah. And, and you know, that's one of the interesting things about what you bring to the podcast is, you know, when the, the fear part you bring, you deal with that in the business world of what could happen. And, you know, what happens if this doesn't come through? And what happened if this person doesn't do this? And, and those are all things that completely, you know, if, if something goes wrong, it screws up what we're trying to accomplish. Right. But at the end of the day, it sets us back either financially, um, you know, strategically something, but it's not life or death. Right. And what you've been through in life is life or death stuff. Right. And so how do you, how do you compare? And you just spoke to it a little bit of how you prepare, like if you're going into battle, going to a mission, how do you prepare for that? But you know, if you're, if you're in that, what's the difference? And I haven't, the reason I say that I haven't been through that, that, that fear part of being there and knowing that, you know, you're about to do something life or death. How does that compare the fear part compare in that situation versus a family situation, a business situation, uh, you know, listed off, right? Right. Yeah. So I'll use the story of, of being a jump master, right. And jump master, and you're basically overall responsible for a parachute operation. And when you're a jumper, like when your mission for that day is jumping out of an airplane, it's scary. You know, you've got a lot of gear. You've, there's there's a lot of things that can potentially go wrong. And as a jumper, who you look to for confidence in the execution of that moment is the jump master team. How confident are they? How secure are they? Um, you know, do they look like they know what they're doing? Are they exuding confidence in the moment, right? And then on the other side of that, as a jump master, my day also ends with jumping out of an airplane. But there's so much that has to happen up to that point, right? There's the guidance, there's the direction, there's the leadership, there's the coordination with the air with the aircraft, there's the coordination with the drop zone. There's so much that has to happen coordination-wise that you set that fear to the side and you worry about the lives of others and you worry about suppressing the fear as much as possible of those that you're, you're that you're um, that you're leading. 
And what's funny is you don't realize that you're jumping out of an airplane when you're doing jump master duties until about three seconds before you jump out of that airplane, yeah. right? Because aircraft is clear, you know, hand your static line to the safety, check the green light, and you're just like, oh crap, I'm jumping out I'm of an next, airplane yeah. today too. But yeah. it's already in motion. And so, right. but but your personal well-being and your personal safety is is secondary to the overall execution of the mission and the safety of the people that are around you, right? right? So there's a very, you know, military type context, but it's the same way in the business world, right? And people talk about life and death scenarios in a, in a very physical, like literal sense, right? And a lot of what we did in the military was literal life and death. But I view leadership in the corporate world the exact same way, not in a literal sense, but in a metaphorical sense, because the decisions that you and I make as leaders is a life and death scenario for the people in this inside of this organization. This is how they, they keep their lights on. This is how they feed their family. This is how they, they, they provide. And this is part of who they are as a human being. So we have just as big of a responsibility corporate as we do military to view this as a life and death scenario metaphorically, because that helps us live with the fear of making the wrong decision and not being flippant about how we guide company and how we lead people because ultimately for them, it is life and death. Right. Huh. Interesting perspective. Um, and, and, you know, we all live with fear on different levels. And, and you talk about that is, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like you compare the, the jump, jump, being the jump master to leadership of the organization is that, you know, you're working through everybody else and you're worried about everybody else's lives, just like from a, from a, um, a founder or a leadership position uh, in your business, you're, you're focused on the customer, then you're focused on your employees, then you're focused on you. And, you know, eventually you have to, you have to do what's best for you mm-hmm. in that it's your life. Right. Um, but you, you deal with other people so long until at the end of the day, it's about you. And so when you focus on the strategy or the people or the customer, you know, a lot of times that fear doesn't actually hit until later mm-hmm. um, is you're reacting to the situation. And so say, say you have a customer that's upset. Say you have a, you, you failed the customer, a customer, whatever the case is. Um, you know, I have, I have that thing about save the drowning boy of, right. you know, let's, let's don't argue about whose fault it is. Let's go fix this. And then we'll sit down and talk about it. And it's that same thing with fear is you have to, you have to figure out what's going on, dive into the situation and don't, don't deal with the fear until the end, right? Because that fear can paralyze you. That fear can um, make you make a decision that gets the pain over quickly when that's not always the best route. Um, Dealing with the fear at the end allows you to get the situation handled, get it fixed, at least get some, some sort of a resolution, then sit back and go, okay, what just happened? And then you let that fear soak in to a point, say, what could I do different next time? So it's, it's almost like what, what part does fear play in the process? And cause you know, it's, there's going to, there's going to be a part of it that's going to be there. Mm-hmm. What, how do you let that be a part of the process? And you know, when do you soak that in? You know, fear is, is so powerful and it, it's so motivating. And, and I think that fear is like the whetstone. You know, like, like this, the, yeah. the, that substance of which you sharpen yourself mm-hmm. should fear should be such a, a big part of that. Because again, like failure, it, it's all around. It's like, 
an electrician, right? If he does something wrong, if, if he's not as good as his, at his job as he can possibly be, he's going to get shocked, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and bad things are going to happen. But that doesn't mean that he's going to just freeze and not work on that customer's home because right. ultimately it's his responsibility to, to get that customer's home back up and, and, and running again. Right. And so for us, I, I think fear should be that agent in which we use to make ourselves better, right? Because we, it is scary to make decisions in business. It is scary to work on some of these partnerships. It is scary to have to let people go in, inside of our organization because we know that it's going to have an impact on the customer. But it doesn't mean that those things, those decisions can't be made or that we can avoid it because we're scared of it, right? right. So planning for it, planning to it, and having contingencies to overcome that fear allows you to live with it and allows you and it allows it to be a motivating factor rather mm-hmm. than a res- rather than a roadblock. Right. Let me let me throw another different definition of fear out a little bit. Um, I deal with this a lot as an aviator, like that pilot. So like, you know, Top Gun. Yeah, I, I call myself an yeah. aviator. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Not a, not aviary. That's birds. But you can bird brain, I know, <laughs> but different. So one of the things people ask is, man, when, when you fly, are you scared? I'm like, you know, that's kind of an interesting question. I'm not scared. I don't, I don't have fear, but I, I have a, what I call a healthy fear. And it's almost like, um, you know, think biblically is, you know, the Bible talks about there's have a fear of God. And what that, you know, translating that, that doesn't mean be scared. That means it's the ultimate respect. Right. It's it's knowing what that is. And it's like, uh, you know, when I'm flying, you know, like thunderstorms, am I scared of thunderstorms? I'm not scared of them, but I'm going to avoid the heck out of them because I, I have a healthy fear of I know the power of a thunderstorm. And I know that flying through the thunderstorm can be deadly. And so because of that, I've I'll go 20, 30 miles around a thunderstorm. Because I fear that I have a healthy fear of what that is, the power of that, right? And it's the same thing of, you know, why did Ricky Bobby not want to get in that car? Because he knows what that cougar could do to him. And so until he harnessed that and learned to, you know, get in that car and be calm, but yet have respect for what Karen could do to him, right? Then, you know, until that happens, then you, always have a fear and you don't know where that fear comes from. So there's a healthy side of fear that is also really, really good. And that's that fear of ultimate respect for what is ahead of you or what that could be, or, you know, in case of a pilot engines could quit or, you know, something could come up or, you know, whatever the case is, but you, you go through steps to train of what hap- what could happen if those things happen. And so the whole time I'm not scared that the engine's going to quit, but I know that if it does, I know how I'm going to react because I have a healthy fear for what could take, what could happen. And I'm going to train to know how to handle it when it does. I love that. I think it's, it's being able to understand the difference between mitigation and elimination of risk and the fear associated with it. Right. Is as a pilot, you can mitigate as many risks as possible, but you cannot eliminate the risk of, of catastrophic consequences while flying. Right. But to mitigate those risks, you follow your checklist religiously. Right. And I know that about you. And same thing as a jump master is, you know, you cannot eliminate the risk of a parachute not opening. Like it's, it's, it's percentage wise, it factors in there, but you can mitigate the risk by proper inspection techniques. You can mitigate the risk by 
you know, JMPI in the right way, by giving the right briefs, by making sure the jumpers are proficient at their task and certified at their task. And it's the same way in the, in the business world is we cannot eliminate the risks associated with the decisions that we ultimately have to make, mm -hmm. but we can mitigate the risks by, by having the right mindset and having the right people and having the right processes and procedures in place. So when we do make that choice, mm -hmm. that even if it happens to be the wrong one, we have mitigated the risks associated with it. So it doesn't end up in catastrophe. It allows us to pivot and make a different decision. And just like in aviation, one of the things that people think is really strange about me is I, I don't enjoy it, but I read a lot of accident reports. Mm -hmm. So NTSB puts out accident report, accident reports, um, a preliminary, probably a month or two after the accident, then a big long one, sometimes a year, two years after. And man, I read those things from first word to last word. And people go, man, that's kind of morbid that you do that. I'm like, well, guess it kind of is, but like, why do you do it? I said, I want to see what happened and see what reactions took place so that I'll know if that ever happens to me, my brain has already thought through that. And I've thought about if this take pl takes place, how do I keep that from happening? And it's kind of the same thing in business. It's, it's a healthy thing to see, you know, your failures, other failures to really read through that or think or talk through it or whatever it is. Not because you're trying to harp on that failure, but you're trying to see what can I learn from someone else, right? Someone else made this decision and man, they lost three customers because of it. If it was not our organization, I want to, I want to learn about that. Why? Not that I'm trying to knock that guy, man, God bless him. But I want to learn from it because I want to know what did he do wrong and what did he do right and mitigate those things he did wrong and go, what, what are we not doing today? I mean, you think about how many things, how many procedures do we have in place and processes do we have in place today because something went wrong and it was something we didn't know we should have done. And we've gone back and corrected that. And so now, for instance, we do statement of work on every single customer we get. And we have it written. We agree with why? Because we've had situations in the past where, you know, the, thing, the, the project got out of kilter. It headed down a direction. It wasn't originally intended. And it failed. And all because we didn't control it because we didn't have an agreement up front of what this thing is going to look like. So we, we figured that out. Yeah. And we changed it and that's why we have that statement of work. And so we learn from our failure. And so now we don't fear that as much as that. Are we going to have, are we going to have uh, you know, a client go off the tracks, go off the rails because they started taking a direction that wasn't intended to go? Well, no, because we have this statement of work of what we agreed to do. And now we know what's going to happen, right? Or a better idea of what's going to happen. So, you know, do I fear customers going off the rails? Yeah, still a little bit, but not near what I had before because I didn't know what caused it. And now that we know what caused it, then we can go in there and put something in place to hopefully mitigate that risk. Yeah. Yeah. I think expecting perfection to be your, your guide, it will ultimately end up when things do go awry, that's when you freeze. Mm -hmm. That's when you don't have the ability to overcome that failure. But you know, same thing in the military, we'd go through um, parachute operations, um, mishap prevention, course, right? Pompoc. We'd do it multiple times a year as a jump master. And it was just case studies in failed jumps where, where parachutists were either killed or severely injured. And so you use the, those, those failures as your guideline, right? So when you went into a similar situation, you understood the fear, you understood the risk, but you understood how to mitigate, reduce, and continue to press forward even when that happens. Right. And so, like you said, in the business world, we, we do that a lot. Like we don't use perfection as our, as our guiding light, we use the bumpers of failure 
to to help to help us keep it between right. the mustard and the mayonnaise as, as as we progress forward. And and we we know the fear, we understand the fear because we've done it before, mm-hmm. and it allows us to continue to make better decisions and evolve as we as we grow as an organization rather than be paralyzed by not knowing what's going to happen if we if we mess this customer up. And so going back to the quote, you think about when. When Reese Bobby said, you got to live with the fear and starting off, he was scared to death of that cougar. And then a few scenes later, you see him driving Reese's car down the road and carrying the cougar sitting right next to him. And he's petting, petting the cougar and talking to the cougar and the cougar just sitting there looking at him. And the interesting thing is the cougar didn't get out of the car. It was the danger was still there, but he learned to live with it. Yeah. And he, he mitigated that he learned how to deal with it. And it's the same thing in our lives is, you know, that, that danger never leaves, right? It's it's how do we see it and how do we deal with it and the confidence we have, but we always have that respect, that fear, a little bit of fear that that cougar could chew my head off. I love it. Good ending. You like that? You just wrap that up like it was. Don't, don't, don't ruin I'm one so of the proud quotes. Of you. Don't ruin one of the quotes. Yeah. No, I'm proud of you. No, thank That's you. Good. Thanks, Devin. That means a lot coming from you. <laughs> that may be the first time you've ever said that. No, it was a fun one, man. Yeah, thanks. Um, we'll continue on with the uh, Ricky Bobby quotes. And, you know, so far, we're, we're Reese Bobby, two out of two. Yeah. So, hello, is it going to be a Ricky quote next? Or I guess we'll see. Stay tuned to find Stay out. Stay tuned to find out. Hey, thanks for listening today. <laughs> All right, thanks.